welcome to Flavor Report, where we are obsessed with everyone's next question. What's this going to taste like? Whether you're at home, a night out in your city, or traveling in a city somewhere in this beautiful world, we are here to help you. My name is Joe Winger. Today is a big treat for movie lovers and geek culture. We have Chris Gore with us. Chris is a prolific author, film critic, the founder of Film Threat, a regular on-air personality for G4TV's Attack of the Show. He's a beloved Comic-Con legend. And now, Chris Gore makes his directorial debut with Attack of the Doc. And now, to the documentary itself, let's talk about Attack of the Doc. Before the rise of big tech, social media, and Marvel movies, Attack of the Show chronicled nerd culture's unlikely acceptance into mainstream. G4 TV's flagship show launched the careers of hosts Olivia Munn and Kevin Pereira and was beloved by fans. A unique celebration of geek culture before it was cool. Diving into colossal cream pies, wearing funny fat suits, and putting internet servers where the sun don't shine. Anything could happen on an episode of Attack of the Show. It's been years since the show went off the air in 2005, and one question remains. What really happened to G4 TV and the Attack of the Show? And now sitting here today, we have Chris Gore. Before I even get into it, I just I watched the trailer and I was watching pieces of it. And what I the, the biggest thing I realized was it really captures a generation. And I mean, that was the, yeah, that was the intention. That yeah, yes. Sorry, that was the intention was to take you back. It, it because the style of it is it's an archival documentary, and the intention is to kind of bring you back to the early two thousands. I know that it doesn't seem like it's like oh that's like. Not that long ago, but the world was so different. This is before social media, before Marvel movies were mainstream, before geek culture became mainstream. You know, so I wanted to give a feeling, especially in the beginning of the movie, to take you back to that time period and then ease you into the birth of Attack of the Show and then show its impact on pop culture. And and really, it's a love letter from fans because everyone who worked on the documentary is a fan. Uh, I mean, I was a fan, even though I was on the show, I used to watch before I was on the show when it was called the screensavers and I loved it. And so I was really proud to be a part of it. It was one of the only times I was really allowed to kind of be myself on camera, be authentic. Uh, it was also the least money I made, but I didn't care. It was the most fun I ever had, but yeah, that's, that was the intention with the doc was to bring you back to that era, a time where we maybe weren't so divided as a, 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 a you know, as a cult in the culture or as a country and remind people, hey, this is we used to have debates, but we weren't canceling each other. We were just we just would respectfully disagree. And I want to remind people that hey, not long ago, it was a very different, very different time. Well said. Yeah, I I think like the first five words in the trailer just remind you how quickly culture has changed. When I've been in the Comic-Con rooms that you've been in, I've literally seen hundreds of people lined up just to say hi to you. What oh, are your fans doing to you? 
tell me yeah. tell me what the, I mean when when quite literally when when a panel ends and there's just a huge line or a crowd of people waiting to talk with you, what does that mean to you? Uh, first of all, it means a lot because I was them. You know, I went to Comic Con for years. I've been going to comic conventions when it was a couple of rooms during the Detroit Auto Show and they would have comic books and they would show 16 millimeter prints of the original Star Trek series. That's how long I've been going to conventions. And I, when I was there once, I met Adam West and Burt Ward and of course, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, they were staples on the convention circuit way back when. But um, I, I, I grew up a nerd. I grew up when being a nerd was not cool. You know, when you were teased and bullied for being a nerd and what Attack of the Show did is kind of tracked like nerd culture becoming mainstream. So when I see that, like, you're a fan of me, I'm, you know, I'm taken aback by it. But but also I just want to be yeah, I want to inspire other people to like, well, look, just there are kind of three things you need to talk about film, I believe. And one is passion. Second is you need to if you're going to write about film, you know, have some grammar skills. And the third thing is a knowledge of film history. And that to me is a lifelong education. Even though I do know a lot, there are a lot of things that I don't know about when it comes to certain areas of film. Just last year, I learned all about Tollywood and films in Telugu uh, from one of my favorite movies of last year, uh, RRR. I'm sure you heard of it. Uh, love that movie, my favorite movie of last year. I got a total education in Tollywood and uh, Telugu cinema. And it's a lifelong education. It's a lot of fun. And, and it's a group conversation we're all having together. And I feel like we all have something to learn from each other. So the fact that I have people who are fans of me is kind of crazy. And I just appreciate, I appreciate that they would take the time to just listen to what I have to say. And you know what? They don't have to agree with me. They can completely disagree with me. It's fine. I don't mind. So, uh, so there you go. That's um, I'm taken aback and humbled. That's thank you. How I feel. Um, you are, I'm going to say, a world class host, whether it's in front of a camera or on a stage. And you're bringing up so much about listening to others and being able to agree to disagree. What do you feel? What's a, a big key to being a great host? Oh wow. Um, well, uh, let me just I, add one thing to that, and then okay. the reason I bring it up is. On some of these panels, A, you've got some really quirky personalities and perhaps some different levels of maybe ego or status. Right. So it may or may not be a challenge to kind of juggle all those different flavors. So uh, true. Said, I'm all about like, I want people who disagree with each other to be on a panel together because I want to come to some, you know, I want everyone to shake hands at the end and ideally maybe even hug, even though I'm not much of a hugger hug, shake hands, walk away, have like uh, a sense of, of, you know, just sportsmanship where it's like, good game, good game. You debated your point. I debated mine. The audience can decide uh, what, what, how they feel about something. So I try to be very, whenever I'm moderating a panel or doing something like that, I try to make sure everybody gets a chance to talk. And if I see somebody dominating too much, I'll get them to, to pull back. I will, I will, you know, say, hey, everybody, let everybody for two minutes, give me your opinion on this and then I'll go down the line. So I just try to be, I also want people to feel welcomed, even whether I personally agree with their opinion or not, doesn't matter. I want people to feel 
welcome in that in that space. And when it comes to doing TV, I had no TV experience when I started doing television. My first real TV job was on a show called The X Show, which was a show on late night on FX. It was like the man show, but kind of like The View, but with guys. And I was the movie guy. Um, so I had to learn, but I didn't know what the hell. I just, here's the thing. Here's the thing I noticed. I didn't care about being on television, whereas everyone else I was surrounded by really wanted to be on TV and cared about it. And I think because I didn't care, that helped me because I like, I don't care if I get this job or not. Like I'm a stay at home dad writing a book right now about movies. Like I don't have time to like, the TV thing is kind of interrupting my schedule. The less I cared about being on TV, the more jobs I got offered. It was sort of almost became like, oh, I didn't realize this. But truthfully to be on television, you need to learn how to walk up to your 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 spot, which is usually a piece of tape on the floor. So you got to meet the spot. Okay. You've got to look at the teleprompter and you read what's on the teleprompter, but you pretend you're not reading. You pretend you're actually talking to a person. So you read, but not, not act like you're actually reading. I and that's that. pretty much, I just told you every, you could go to college and learn how to be, be on TV. Right. I just gave you the 30 second, those walk up to a piece of tape, be able to read where it sounds natural. But I was fortunate enough that like, you know, some of the stuff was scripted for me, but like when it came to my opinion, when I gave you my opinion, that was me talking off the top of my head. And I always felt like whenever I did, whether it was DV Tuesday on attack of the show or mm -hmm. other television that I did, I always feel like I was in a race. Like I've got four minutes. I'm going to give you as much information in four minutes as possible. We'll come to a con conclusion by rent or pass. And then uh, see you later. See you next week. I'll be on for another four minutes. So the doc is such a detailed story for lack of a better word. And you have so much content to kind of work from. How hard was it to edit it down from this 13 hour masterpiece <laughs> to such a tight little story. So well, what was it like trimming that down? Well, uh, truthfully, um, it's brilliantly edited and also uh, my co-producer on it, um, uh, Bobby Schwartz was the, the lead editor. There was a, another team of editors, Anthony Ray Bench, uh, Philip Eubanks, among others who, who helped out, uh, Glenn Brown, uh, who, who helped out. We spent, first of all, we gathered hundreds of hours of footage spent a year building a library because we started shooting in March of 2020. And then, you know, what happened, the pandemic occurred. So I thought, well, how am I going to make this doc now? So I pivoted to making the doc. It was originally, we sat some people down and did some interviews with people on camera and realized we're not going to be able to do this with the pandemic, but we wanted to keep working on the film. So we spent that year of the pandemic building a lot library of every topic, every host, every person on camera. And in, in building this library, it gave us the tools to be able to then go, okay, we're going to talk about this topic. Then I did interviews over live streams and I built an archival documentary that would put you in the world at the time. I wanted it to never kind of break. The only breaking to present day is like, I kind of bookend the movie and then Zach Selwyn is like the Greek chorus. But, but, uh, I wanted to give that feel. So the editors, it was such a challenge. We'd kind of break them into like cut downs. So like the birth of G4, how do we tell that story? Well, we cut it down to 30 minutes. How do we get that down to three minutes? So we're trying to tell 20 years of the history 
of the beginnings of G4 TV, the launch of Attack of the Show, the end of Attack of the Show, and then the rebirth and, and kind of where that went. So that's 20 years in 90 minutes. And it was always like, we're not going to go over 90 minutes. This is going to be, well, anything that we cut, we can, we can put stuff on the Blu-ray. The Blu-ray will be collectible. But I wanted to tell this story in a quick 90 minutes um, as, as really a love letter to, to the show, to, you know, geek culture and remind people of just this, this era, but that editing, God, uh, it, it was, it was just a constant thing. Well, Bobby Schwartz knocked out of the park. So it's appreciated. I, I don't, I'm sure you saw almost all the Oscar movies last year. So in a world of yes. so many three hour and three and a half hour, three twenty <laughs> movies, a lot yeah. of people are saying thank you for yeah. not doing three hours because while we want to watch it in supplemental stuff, 86, 90, tight, it, it's it's welcomed and appreciated. So thank you. Oh, dude, I will make decisions on what movies to see based on the running time. There you go. I go to see this two and a half hour uh, a film in French with subtitles or a 90 minute comedy. And uh, I'll go 90 minutes. I'm sorry if I have the choice. <laughs> But I'll eventually see the French film. Trust me. I, <laughs> I, it's, it's not the season. It's, it's the summer. Blockbusters are out. The, I save those movies for the fall, Oscar season. You've traveled. I'm gonna say the world, but from Comic Con cities to just, I mean, your speaking gigs, everything. You've mm -hmm. traveled the world pursuing your passion. Do you have a favorite destination, and why do you love it? Oh my God. Uh, you, you're right. I mean, I've been to uh, when I was doing G4 TV. I went to Paris. Uh, I went to London. I, I went to uh, when I when I was doing video game. I did a video game magazine in the '90s. Traveled to Germany. I just France, like all over. Um, and I will say, one of my favorites is Austin, Texas. Huh. As weird as that is to say, during South by Southwest, for a number of reasons. One, uh, the people. The people are very authentic and real in Austin, Texas. Um, the food is incredible the bar scenes uh you know just I, I don't know like austin texas i have a love, love for san diego california where i go at least once a year when i go to san diego comic-con love san diego um yeah it, it's weird i mean i know these cities you i'm sure you were expecting something more exotic even though i've been to paris and, and whatnot but uh you know i just like uh you know even even places of like birmingham alabama I like like a small town that has a walkable downtown where there are real people that I can connect with. I mean, I live in a city, I live in Pasadena, California, that is sort of a mini version of San Diego's gas lamp. It's beautiful. The people are real. There's every kind of bar to like, you know, there's like your college bar. There's a dive bar. There's your hipster bourbon bar, you know? Uh, uh, so it's just, I love it. I love, I really love uh, where you can go somewhere and there's all types of people. You go to Beverly Hills, you know, <laughs> Beverly Hills is a certain type of person. Pasadena is this mix of everything. You've got rich, poor, blue collar, did all, all the colors of Benetton. You've got families. You've also got young and old. You don't see a lot of that in other parts of LA. LA is a very young city. Pasadena is old and young. And uh, I like that. Uh, I, I just like different types of people. Uh, that's an attraction to me. So I kind of oh. live in one of my favorite places. That's and perfect. Then, and I'm close to places I love. But yeah, and food is a big deal. Like barbecue in Austin, Texas. Oh my God, <laughs> I bought it right now. It's so good.
an idea I'm playing with is calling a segment dinner and a movie because so many people always bring together like dinner and a show, dinner and movie, et cetera. So whether it's for this specific documentary or just in general for you, is there a go-to dinner, whether you're on a date or out with the friends, is there a dinner you often have when you're going to the movies? Uh, well, one, I think you've hit on something that will be huge because there are, you know, they have movie theaters now they call dine-in where they bring the food to your seat. It's an amazing experience. The Alamo Draft House, which I first attended uh, when I was at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, built a whole chain of movie theaters based on that premise, based on the idea of food, food and film, right? Like that is a huge thing. So I would recommend any Alamo draft house. I tend to be like, when it comes to a dinner, I'm gonna, I'm gonna eat out that I probably wouldn't cook at home. I love salmon, which sounds weird. Uh, give me salmon and some broccoli and I'll be very happy. I know broccoli is maybe not popular with everybody. I'm one of the people who love, loves broccoli. The other thing is, this comes to mind, um, we're actually during the premiere of Attack of the Dock, at which is going to be at the uh, the Frida Cinema in Santa Ana, California. We're serving Attack of the Docarita, which is going to be a custom margarita. But when when I was in Austin, Texas, one of my favorite drinks, which is only served at one bar there, it's called the Jackalope. You walk into the lobby of the Jackalope. You can look this up. I'm sure it's on their Instagram. It's definitely on my Instagram. They have a giant Jackalope rabbit you can pose, you, you can get on it, you can saddle up on the jackalope and take pictures of yourself riding on the jackalope. But they serve this drink that is delicious. It's vodka based, there are a bunch of other things in it. It's called the reverse cowgirl. Only in Texas, when <laughs> you go to the jackalope bar on 6th Street and grab yourself several reverse cow cowgirls. I've done it many times, um, but that's my go-to. Those yeah. are the great bars on on Sixth Street, the Chug and Monkey. I mean, it is more of a college town, um, but during South by, the college kids are on vacation, and it's just God. I love that city. Um, I love it to death. It's great. You you mentioning um, South by and mentioning the Draft House, it's kind of a gearing me in this direction, which is you've been to. I'm gonna guess hundreds of movie theaters. Is that a fair assumption? Thousands. Uh, oh yeah, the movie theaters. I mean, I go to the movies minimum once a week, if not two or three times. And the movie theaters, it's my church. It's um, literally like I, I, I go to worship at the movies. Is there a favorite movie theater for you in the United States? 100%. It's the Cinerama Dome, which was formerly the Arclight. The Arclight Cinemas was sort of the, uh, you know, you paid more for tickets, but the audience there, no one would think of looking at their phone during a movie or they, everyone's on airplane mode. You know, it's it's that movie theater chain, which closed due to the pandemic, it's closed forever. The Cinerama Dome is my favorite movie theater in America. It's a beautiful experience, old style theater. It was featured in Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would, I didn't even have to say anything to my friends. If a big movie was opening, we all got tickets to the 7 p.m. Thursday show at the Dome and they would sell out like that. It, it, it's, um, I mean, it's heartbreaking to me that that movie theater has closed. 
Um, and Quentin, as you know, Quentin Tarantino is very much a supporter of uh, of you know the theatrical cinema experience. He owns the New Beverly Cinema uh, mm-hmm. on Beverly Boulevard, where they show film prints, not digital film prints. And uh, you know the Cinerama Dome. My understanding is it's sort of caught up in some legal. Mm-hmm. I it's going to reopen someday. I will be there on day one. Nice and. Uh, yeah, that's my favorite movie theater in America is the Cinerama Dome. It's no longer open, but it is one of those. You drive by it, it looks like a giant golf ball landed on Sunset Boulevard. It's just sitting there, this domed theater, and it's this huge complex with a lot of movie theaters in it. And the Arclight Cinema, God, I still have my Arclight Cinema's tumbler and hat. I haven't spoken to somebody who loves LA and knows LA so well as you. So thank you're making me incredibly homesick right now. So thank you for that. Um, well dude, I take I take the metro. I still really? take the metro. Oh I love it. I love it. It's I mean look it's a li- it's a bit more dangerous than it used to be. Okay. Um I mean I I I unfortunately I'll I'll have to say that LA is kind of like Gotham City but there's no Batman. It's there are parts of it that are rough. I, I'm I'm not gonna lie but I this is my adopted city. I'm originally from Michigan, grew up in Royal Oak, Michigan. So I'm a Midwest guy. You can't take the Michigan out of me, but LA is my adopted city. It's sad to see this, this city in decline. It's very sad to see in real time. I think a lot of cities are struggling right now across America. We're going through, we're going through a rough period right now as a country. I believe in America. I believe in, in the people and that we will solve these problems uh, if we can just learn to talk to each other respectfully on the internet. Now, if that problem can be solved, we can, <laughs> you know, we can solve any problem, but but it's it's sad to see. Ellie's my adopted city, I love it. I mean, everything from the El Coyote bar, uh, just down from the New Beverly, right. to other places that have closed. Uh, I'm so sad every time when I'll drive through LA and it's like, I used to go to that bar all the time. What happened to it? You know, and it's it's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking to see um, to see the city in decline. But you know, mm-hmm. I've always been a hopeful and optimistic person. So it's going to turn around at some point. I I a thousand percent agree with you. Sometimes there's something that you really want to talk about that either no one asks. And so what I'm asking is, is there any part of this process or the project itself that you'd love to highlight and talk about that you just you're not getting asked about enough. Oh, wow. First of all, that's great. I have asked that very same question before. And you're wrong, sir. You did ask me questions that no one has asked me so far. And I and I appreciate it. Uh, I, I just want, you know, whether you were a fan of Attack of the Show or were completely unaware of it, uh, I, I think that the documentary will be a reminder of an era. It'll, it, it's, it's sort of a mini history of geek culture through, you know, through this television show that celebrated everything about nerd culture, everything from comic books, video games, movies, you know, just getting so excited about new tech devices that you would lick them upon opening it. There's a whole thing, the whole thing of unboxings came from that era. Like I'm gonna unbox new tech, it's wrapped in plastic, here's the instructions. So I would just just say that, um, you know, what what's fun about this documentary, you see people filled with passion talking about what they love. And I think that, I hope that, you know, whether you're not into geek culture at all, maybe you're, you're into making ships and bottles, 
but the person who has a passion for that is is a hero in, in, in that person's own right. You know what I mean? Like I always admire like, hey, I'm not into this thing, but I will go down a rabbit hole on YouTube of like, I can't believe there's whole channels dedicated to this. This is crazy. So, and what, what you know, part of what I'm trying to say with the doc is that um, our kind of modern YouTube was inspired by the original attack of the show to just go off and like, I have a passion for something. I'm just going to talk about it. And, and so I hope people walk away with that and find their own passion. Buy this, watch this, stream this, any, anything we can do. What are the best ways to get more information about this documentary? And then also just what, whatever you're working on now and next. Sure. Um, you just go to attack of the doc. That's doc.com. You'll see links to where you can get it. You can get it on Vimeo. Uh, you can rent it. It'll be available on all platforms eventually. So Google play store, uh, iTunes, Vudu, Amazon, uh, all of that stuff. So that's where you can see it. And you can also follow attack of the doc doc on Instagram, Twitter. We even have a Facebook. I don't even use Facebook anymore, but we have a Facebook. So uh, yeah, just follow Attack of the Dock and, and check it out. Uh, I hope you'll at least give it a shot and rent it. And I hope you're entertained for 90 minutes and reminded of a very recent era when things were also very different uh, culture, very different times.